Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. On episode 26 of the Green Street Hammers podcast, Adam Scott and Jeremiah are recapping West Ham's emphatic win over Watford, including a breakdown of the goals before jumping into some Hammers polls questions and rating the season that was. Keep it locked on the Green Street Hammers podcast. All right, welcome to the Green Street Hammers podcast. We are back for the end of the season spectacular episode 26. With me today, Jeremiah and Scott. Jeremiah, how are you doing in Colorado? I'm doing good, man. It's a beautiful day. It was a uh, a good end of the season, so I'm I'm flying high right now. Scott, how are how are you, and how is Australia? Yeah, Australia is getting colder, but uh, no, I'm good. Yeah, as, as Jeremiah said, good end of the season and uh, optimistic. That's good. Yeah, it's same here. Toronto is warming up, so I can't uh, I can't be happier about that. <laughs> Uh, ironically, and maybe not ironically, but uh, the, the downside to, to all of this is that, you know, the weather is getting better. Summer is here. Currently right now, I have the Blue Jays game on TV. Uh, you know, the boys of summer are back. And with that comes the end of the regular season or, or just the season, I should say. We still have the FA Cup to go and promotion games for the championship. But uh, the season is over. Uh, and what Sam, you know, despite it being sort of a, a mediocre year. They, we, we know we did push on as a team, so there was some progression, and we finished strong three wins in a row with a draw to precede them, and as well uh, a big statement win to end the to end the year away at Watford. So let's start with that there. Um, pre-match thoughts, Scott. When you were going into this this match against Watford, what was your sort? Of, what was your mentality uh, as far as you know predicting West Ham's result in that game? Um, to be honest, I was a bit worried we'd be on the beach uh we've uh, had the uh, coming into sort of the end of the season period we had been a bit lackluster uh and then we'd had had the, had our kind of a big win against spurs like uh, it seemed that everyone was very up for it uh and then we finished the final home the final home game with a win and it looked like we had just that was going to be it for me i think i i worried that people's heads were just going to be like oh yeah we're done end of our season let's go to Watford and just sort of like finish off the season uh, without picking up any silly injuries or anything like this but yeah they, they looked a lot sharper than I thought yeah and, and I completely agree I thought there was a it was a coin flip between whether we were going to get a sharp team or we were going to get like you said a team that was ready to, to take off for the summer um, 
Jeremiah, were you predicting a win? Were you predicting... I, I, I know we did do our pre-match predictions, but sometimes that changes. Did you think West Ham were going to be in this one? Yeah, I, you know, I did. I predicted, uh, I think, on a pre-match thing. And, uh, of course, I missed the uh, <laughs> the everything going out. But, uh, yeah, I think I was, I was thinking around like a 3-2 win. Um, I thought that just kind of the way the offense was rolling... I, my hope was, my op- optimistic hope was that it was going to keep it up. But uh, I did think we were going to let in a couple goals. And uh, I was I was delightfully surprised at how it all went. And, uh, yeah, I, I'm not going to lie. I think, you know, I was I was trying to be optimistic for once. And uh, it worked It worked well because they, they had a heck of a match. Yeah, I, I what's kind of uh, interesting about the match itself is that it wasn't really a resound. The scoreline shows 4-1. Um, but certainly in the first half, it was a lot closer than you may have believed. Um, West Ham were just taking their chances and, and uh, you know, we're, we're sort of making the most of their opportunities, I suppose. We were up 1-0 at the half. Uh, it, it was something special that had to break the deadlock, and that was Mark Noble's wonder goal. I, is that his best goal in a West Ham uniform? What do we think? Mm, I, I mean, he scored some very good goals, uh, from memory, the one against uh, Spurs when we had Carlos Tevez. Mm. Uh, that was a well-taken goal from um, outside the area. Uh, I mean, in terms of uh, skill, I, I, I haven't gone through the archives of uh, Mark Noble goals. <laughs> it was certainly uh, one of the... You can cut out the, about um, 40 of them, which are penalties, by the way. Yeah, mm. I think he. Um, it's certainly one of his most surprising in terms of Obviously, everyone's been going on about how his legs are gone, how he's not got the skill level to be in the Premier League anymore. And, uh, yeah, he brings that out. So, good on him for that. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it was a great finish. Yeah, I kind of agree. I think there was, you know, last year, even against Leicester, there was that, like, that one oh, yeah. volley that kind of went in. And uh, but, but as far as skill goes, I mean, in the kind of pace that he had behind it, it was... Yeah, fantastic. I, I would put it up there. I don't know if it's one of. I don't know if it's his best, but it's definitely one of his best. Well, it was also kind of a thinking man's goal too, because he sees the giant opening in the middle of uh, of the Watford end of the pitch, plays the one-two with Antonio to to get into that open space because he had one man marking him, and he then sort of plays off of Arnautovic making a run. Uh, Felipe yeah. Anderson, if you watch, keeps the man wide. Antonio keeps the man wide, and uh, Noble had. Two defenders. One was Mark Arnautovic, and the other one was playing him to pass. And it, it was a great, well-taken goal. And as well, you know, he was pretty, pretty close to the penalty spot. So it may have just been instinctual for him to <laughs> slot it home, anyways. But it, it was so, it's so good to see him getting on the score sheet and it not be a penalty. And also, he did get a penalty in the second half, and for the second uh, time consecutively for West Ham getting penalties with Arnautovic on the pitch, who was supposed to be taking these to start the season to boost his goal total. Um, there was no argument. Noble was taking the penalty. So um, you love to see that. You love to see the, the respect. And over the last few games, at the end of the games, you've seen Arnautovic and Noble draped all over each other. And uh, Noble came out today saying that he hopes Arnautovic is here. Everyone knows how important he is to the team. So uh, next season, he hopes that, he, that he's here and believes that he will be. So, you know, I don't know. I don't want to say fingers crossed that that happens because there are a lot of different opinions on that. But it's interesting to see. Um, continuing on, how do you rate West Ham's performance in the second half? They came out of the gate a little slow, allowing that goal immediately from kickoff. Uh, and Fredericks also pulled up lame, and Zabaleta kind of got turned inside out to start uh, to start off the second half. But how, how do we how do we rate things uh, in the second half for West Ham? 
Uh, I think we... I think throughout the match we did ride our luck at the def- in defence. I mean, we kind of pre- uh, kind of relied on Fabianski a couple of times. Mm-hmm. He made one or two very good saves. Uh, Watford weren't quite at the races in terms of their finishing ability, but whenever we went forward, we looked dangerous. Antonio's come back round. He's in one of his purple patches, and when he's in one of them, he's he's very hard to stop. He's strong, he's quick, um, he's very direct. Again, like, um, I don't know whether it was the commentary on mine, there on the Australian uh, broadcast, but for example, when they had the, uh, when uh, Holobas got the red card, uh, Antonio draws that right out. Uh, but again, it's, he's, it's his direct running. He did, I think it was a bit harsh on Watford, that red card. Uh, it's very little contact. Uh, it's just Antonio's going at such speed and he's so prone to falling over anyway that it doesn't really take that much to send him on his way. Uh, so I'm not sure if that was a red card. And I think they've allowed him to play the Correct. FA Cup final. They did rescind so, it, yes. So, I mean, it kind of shows that it wasn't blatant or I, I think it was a tiny clip and that's very harsh, but it allowed us to control the game. I mean, they, they Watford did come back after that for about five maybe 10 minutes uh, really trying to push but after that we just slowed, tried to slow the game down spread it wide and then looked for Antonio and Dianatovic uh, very quickly and yeah I think the game plan worked yeah I think I think I 100% agree with you Scott I think right away obviously you know their goal when they came out just like one minute right into the, the start of the second half was kind of kind of took the air out of things but that for whatever reason didn't really even make me feel that uncomfortable. And then right after that, like you said, there was a couple, maybe five, ten minutes that there was just a little bit of a little bit of something there that Wofford looked like they were trying to pull out. But between Antonio and Noble and you know Arnautovic, between those three, and you could name probably even more uh, players, it was just a really fantastically well done match. I mean, attacking, looking good. It was yeah, it was good. And, and Wofford's a team that can kind of uh, you know break pretty quickly and, and even down to 10 men uh, with the likes of De Lafoe and, and Dini. De Lafoe brings a lot more speed uh, and Dini brings that you know savvy veteran presence. He knows where to be and whatnot. So uh, as far as their attack after going down to 10 men was uh, was concerned, you can see the mentality of it. Let's get one and then boom, Dini's probably off. We're going to go with De Lafoe in the center as our counterattacking forward and we're going to just pack the box and we're going to ride out a draw you know, it'll be a, a, a win for them because basically it would be a, you know, a point that they earned from a losing position and down to 10 men. You can see that mentality, but it just, Antonio, like we've all said, his running was great. And I think we all agree that was probably not a penalty against him. Uh, and it probably, if it was, was extremely, extremely light contact. Um, but you're not, unless you're in Liverpool, you're not getting penalties called for you for no reason. So Antonio put the defender in that awful position and, mm-hmm. uh, he, he fell down, which is uh, – he tends to do that. I don't want to call it a dive or anything because I truly don't think it was. He kind of runs himself into the ground a lot of times and stumbles <laughs> over himself. Uh, so, yeah. hand, hand up, I think he, he actually did genuinely fall. But, we'll, you know, it's over now anyways. The points are sealed. Uh, and and uh, to round out the game, uh, Noble finished that penalty uh, eventually on another Antonio fall in the box. Uh, that 
no, that was another goal. But uh, Lanzini and Arnautovic get on the score sheet. Arnautovic, that, that gives him three in two games, I believe. And Lanzini is first of the season. So, Jeremiah, how do you rate the, the return of Lanzini since he's been back? And uh, what do you make of his performance against Watford? I absolutely love it. Um, I've, I've loved Lanzini since he came here back in 2015. And uh, I wrote an article about it. And I, I just think that him being in, it brings element to, to the match. His pace, his willingness to kind of get in there. And um, he's, a, he's a little dude, but he's not, you know, he's willing to get in there and, and make the tackle or get in there and um, take somebody on. And I, I would I would rate him very highly. Um, I'm glad to see him back. I hope uh, this rumor. Oh, we're missing you a bit there, Jeremiah. We're losing you a bit there with the connection. We'll move on to Scott here. And, and Scott, we'll get your thoughts on, uh, on Lanzini and how he played at the end of the season and, and against Watford specifically. I think, uh, again, uh, as can be expected from someone coming back from quite a serious injury, he didn't, he hasn't really sort of hit the same heights he has before, but you can see everything that's still there. And with a proper summer of uh, preseason, he's, I think he's going to play, uh, be back to where he was. Um, I mean, I say anyone that's come back from even a minor injury knows that you'll be, you're out there and you, whilst you're trying to focus on the match, you you are thinking about that. I mean, it's got to be a big, uh, a big worry because I mean that that kind of rupturing of his ligaments. Uh, he, well, one, it's painful, but two, it's it's just something that preys on your mind. It's not like a little knock you shake off and come back in a couple of weeks. So, yeah, I mean, against Watford, he looks more lively. I mean, that reacting to the Antonio shot, it just showed an instinct because the everyone else just stood and watched. Um, I think they saw that it, it was Antonio's shot. It was going up, and I think I think they kind of I think they kind of well, it's either in one way or another it's going to end up behind the goal because if if it's a save, it, I mean Foster got unlucky in the fact that it uh, it didn't uh, go over the bar, but I mean the chance are it doesn't go out. But Lanzini played on that tiny percentage that it does come back to him, and he was moving and he was in the right spaces, and that's what Lanzini does. He just kind of he keeps moving when other people have stayed still and finds himself in that space. So that was a really good sign for me. Uh, yeah, he's got a long way to go um, in terms of getting back to when we had uh, that first season he was here with Payet. But he's getting there. And that's all we could ask if that progress is coming back. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't think I can add much more than what you guys have said, but I'll, I'll say my quick piece here. Uh, I, I don't know who said it, but... Uh, maybe it may have been Pellegrini who said, you know, you're looking at a minimum of 12 months to even, you know, consider being healed from that, even if you can play beforehand. So I think a lot of that does come down to the mentality of it, like what you were saying, Scott, the mental toughness to to not second guess yourself going in for a challenge or reaching for a ball because you fear something may happen with your knee. Look at Aaron Cresswell. He struggled with uh, with, you know, mental strength when it comes to uh, his injuries. But I think on the counter side to that, you have uh, Andre Yarmolenko, who uh, ruptured his Achilles now for the second time. But he didn't; he hasn't let that. He didn't for in the second half of his Dortmund career let that happen. Let that, sorry, you know, take him away from the player he was. And for West Ham, he certainly didn't uh, rupturing it in that in that game where he, he put two in, uh, or just shortly after. So, you know, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of time off now coming up. No summer tournaments involving Lanzini. Uh, he did train with Argentina over the international break. 
so hopefully he gets in some more time where you know there's no setbacks or anything. He doesn't feel anything in that knee and can move forward. Uh, lastly, we have Arnautovic. He scored kind of a scrappy goal in front of the net, uh, which is you know half of his goals were last season. So it's good to see him back there again. Um, let's just boil this down as, as plain and simple as we can. Scott, I'll come to you first. You wrote an article from Green Street Hammers about this. Do you think Arnautovic is coming back next season? If so, if not, why? Why not? I guess kind of trying to weigh it up. I think it's I think it's a really interesting position because we've got some people saying to sell him because he's a disruption in the in the dressing room, and I I think this season he's responsible for us not picking up about probably seven to ten points over that uh, period where he was demanding to go to China, and we just we kind of faded away. Um, but who's going to be buying him? Uh, unless the, a Chinese team does come back in and bids big money for him, I don't know how many people are going to meet our valuation for him because because of his attitude, uh, his quality. I don't think anyone did, denies his quality, but his attitude is lacking. And if anyone, um, I just I don't know if anyone's going to meet our valuation for him. And if if that doesn't happen, I think we're it's not a bad it's not a bad thing because. We're going to be selling Perez and Chicharito anyway, by the looks of it. it I, I can't see both of them staying. Uh, they've made noises all year about wanting to go back, to, like, wanting to go to Spain, wanting to move on. So, And I'd be much more willing to let them go than Arnautovic. He kind of builds... He's a, a fairly vital piece of our uh, system. And... It also means that we don't have to spend out on two big strikers next year or try and have one big striker and two or three replacement strikers. It's It means more work for us rather than focusing on what we really need uh, or maybe spreading the money about over signings rather than focusing on one. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I, I'm hopeful that he comes back and he comes back not as the apathetic on Arthovic, but the interested the the like committed on Atovich. and I think when you were talking about the penalty that's a really it's an interesting sort of insight into his mind at the time because if he scores that if he takes the penalty and scores it he's the top scorer outright mm-hmm. of our season so uh, if he was interested in that kind of personal platitude he always thinking about it at the time he would have taken it or he would have asked more to take it because that would have put him above for that Anderson, but he didn't. He let Noble. Well, I, th- I, th- I say I th- again on the commentary on the Australian broadcast, they were talking about it. Like they thought Arnautovic was going to take it, and then it was Noble. So I don't know what's happened there, but it, it's potentially a positive insight into his mind. Yeah, and I think the biggest wild card in all of this is Arnautovic himself. Uh, if he if he if he stays you know in touch with the t- with his teammates and whatnot, who knows? Maybe he'll come back. I think if he if he wants to, he's going to be the deciding factor in it. I think the poison in all of this is his brother, um, who you know you you may have Arnautovic set and and resigned to staying here, and his brother goes, well, we could go to China and I can double your your wages and and you know I could facilitate that move, and then it comes down to is the juice worth the squeeze with fighting off Arnautovic's desire to leave? I like that, that Pellegrini took a, a kind of a hard-nosed effort to it and said, listen, we didn't get the money we wanted. We're not going to get a replacement in time. Arnautovic is staying, and we'll reassess yeah. it in the summer. He did that in January, which was a, a strong move. 
and something that you didn't really see Stoke doing. Stoke immediately, upon the links to West Ham, basically said, okay, let's start negotiating. And then, you know, they started, you know, rising the price, rising the price. So for West Ham, I think the the renewed deal that has the proposed uh, buyout clause in it is West Ham saying, if you want them, come get them. If not, leave us alone. We're not negotiating on it. So I think more likely than not, we're going to see Arnautovic back. His versatility to play the wings as well as striker also makes him really an interesting option if we are set to assign someone like Maxi Gomez or the, the links to Musa Morega came out today who tends to be uh, heavily linked to West Ham. So, you know, if we get one of those out-and-out strikers that, you know, has played that position for a long period of time, is sort of an instinctual striker like that, maybe Arnautovic sees more time as, you know, an attacking midfielder that kind of plays as a second striker or a winger when someone goes down injured. Realistically, we don't have any depth on left wing right now, if you, unless you consider Nathan Holland the starting first-team player, which he hasn't yeah. done for me, so I don't believe he is. So Arnautovic can play left wing. We know that. So let's see where it plays out, of course. But I would be more on the side of him staying now just based on West Ham's position in January. It was hard-nosed. Pellegrini's running the show here. And Arnautovic did seem to turn it on at the end. So we'll see. Uh, Jeremiah, any thoughts on it? Yeah, nothing much more than what you guys were saying. I mean, and I'm not saying that basically by him playing is we're going to win. But you can see it kind of consistent when he is playing and he is in there fully kind of committed to the match that we do a lot better um so i think if he wants to stay and he's willing to stay and the teammates are behind him then yeah i think he's got to stay and uh, that's really it i mean you guys touched on everything else and um just i mean we'll see what happens but yeah when he's been out there and he's been committed we've looked a heck of a lot better all right let's move on from the last game of the season to sort of uh you know jumping into our what's becoming a more and more regular uh, segment on this podcast, and it's getting the, the fan pulse through Hammers Pulls at Hammers Pulls, HammersPulls.com, uh, sort of getting a better understanding for what the you know the West Ham world's thinking. And uh, you know, every vote has hundreds of hundreds of participants, and some of them thousands. So it's great to sort of get that mentality and, and sort of understanding of how things are going. Um, Scott, I'm going to start with one that maybe you can provide more insight on than Jeremiah and I. I'm not sure. There's actually two, uh, multiples here that uh, that may have your DNA all over them. But this first one, <laughs> I never experienced, and I don't think Jeremiah has either. But it comes from Jonathan at Jonathan WHU. Should West Ham bring the Hammerettes back? Um, <laughs> it was essentially like a, like a cheerleading squad, correct? Yeah. Yeah. I mean... Do you have a memory of them? Yeah, I do. I do. I do remember the Hammerettes. Um, they are, I say, as I say, they are a um, cheerleading group, effectively. And I think your issue is is that it caters towards the sort of the male-dominated aspect of football. Um, it's it, the idea that it's mostly men that go to this thing, and they're, they're sort of light entertainment. And I don't know. Um, Whilst I think that they were in that entertainment in that regard and light entertainment, I I don't I I worry that I'm because of my perspective as as a man that goes to the football, uh, it's it's a bit skewed. I think by doing that, you potentially take away from the female football team, the West Ham women that we have. Uh, you sort of kind of make um, unless you have a male cheerleading squad for their matches, it, it kind of, it makes a weird point. And 
it also potentially i don't know again it's, it's not for me to say um but if there are uh, women girls going to the football matches and it feels a bit odd that it's the men playing the football and then the women are at halftime uh yeah i think it, it could potentially be a bit strange i don't think we need them <laughs> i don't know why no as far as i'm aware there are very few other teams that have it i mean my cousin works for the south end united equivalent uh the bluebells but um yeah i i don't know if you need it it seems very strange that if you go to watch Premier League match, you're annoyed if there's not cheerleading at halftime. <laughs> Jeremiah, any any thoughts on it? Do you have any connection to the Hammerettes or anything? No, I, I remember them. I don't. I've never seen them. I remember hearing about them, but I don't know. Like, kind of going off of what you said, Scott. Is there many other team Premier League teams essentially that would, that have that that have that? I, don't... I think Crystal Palace might, from memory, um, maybe used to, but I mean, that's it. Yeah, I, yeah it, I coming from like a North American culture where, you know, especially with NFL football, um, mm. Jeremiah and I would know that there's a lot yeah. of cheerleading um, that is sort of culturally a part of what it is to be, you know, at a sporting event. Um, and it's a career here. It's a sport in itself here as well. Mm. Um, but again, it's it's different. It's a different cultural thing. I mean. There's a lot of there's a lot of sports that sort of blur the lines of what's right or wrong in the 21st century. I don't think this is as bad, but I do think I agree. It, it does look bad when you have you know men and women segregated to the main act in your entertainment while you're getting a beer, basically. So I, I I'd be okay with them with them not coming back. Um, it was a two a poll from two hours ago, and yes has 70 percent of the vote. So um, <laughs> 317 votes. Maybe we're all in the wrong here. Um, yeah. we'll jump on to the next one here. It's, it's about a link I have, I have not heard. Um, the question is from at Puffa underscore the underscore Jen G E N. Uh, rumor has it Spurs are after Mazuaku. Do we either a keep them B bite their hand off and sell? I think there should be a C, which would be sell on somewhere else, which we can add that vote in themselves ourselves. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll go first here. Um, I would rather keep him than sell him to Tottenham. Um, but the the link doesn't make sense. They have um, they have Danny Rose who is still starting on a regular basis and actually did well to avoid massive injury this season, I suppose. And they also have uh, Davies, who's young, you know, exciting international for Wales. Um, I don't see why Mazuaku would go there, um, especially you know they don't really play with wingers too often, and if they do, it's going to be Hyungman Son over him, who's better than. <laughs> Felipe Anderson, to be honest, so I don't see why he would go somewhere where he's further down the list and not going to play. Uh, Jeremiah, thoughts on on Mazuaku being linked to to Spurs? Yeah, you know, I saw that, and uh, I haven't I haven't seen anything else anywhere else besides that. So I don't think the Spurs would would necessarily need him. Kind of like you said, um, I'm all right keeping him. Truthfully, I know we talked about it last week. If it was between him and Cresswell, I think I'd still keep Cresswell. But I think if if we are going to sell him you know it's try to sell out of the premier league if at all possible but i mean i'm okay scott uh i say i uh, i didn't hear this link until last night when uh, a fellow west ham fan came up to me at uh, football training and uh talked to me about it and i was i was a bit confused to be honest i think i'm not sure who it benefits uh, if I was looking, I, I think we're going to be selling one of Masaraka and Cresswell um, this, she, this year because I think we need to buy in another left back. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I think Masuaku offers a lot of cover off that left wing side because of his versatility. But Tottenham, really? Uh, I mean, <laughs> like he's. I don't think he's that good. Uh, like one, well, first first of all, I don't think he's quite that that good of quality. Why would we sell him to Spurs? Why would we sell a player that? I mean, like they're not going to be. The only time that I think we should be sending to Spurs is if they're offering us more money than we can possibly refuse and no one else is coming near. And the player's name uh, isn't Declan Rice. Yes. I mean, this is like if they came in and said, we'll give you 40 million for Arnautovic, I think we've got to sit down and consider it. Yeah, that's I mean, a it's fair point. Nothing, it's, it's, it's sitting down. Like, you've got to. You got to work out whether you want to sell him at all. Ian, hammers but, polls. Make that a poll from Scott <laughs> at Scotty J. Uh, if our, if Tottenham offered 40, 40 million, we'll say for Arnautovic, would you sell him? Yes or no? Yeah, so that that's a difficult question. But if you're talking, what are you selling Masuaku for? It's probably selling him for under ten million, right? What's the point? What's the point? Accepting that from Spurs, I I don't know, and I don't know from a Spurs point of view. I don't know what they're why they would want him. And if you could sell Mazuaku to a, a team in France for $8 million, but Spurs want to pay $10 million for him, I would... Uh, let's just look at it... Right, off the France. Yeah, let, let, let's look at yeah. it outside that. I would pay £2 million to not allow Spurs to have their first choice left back in the market. So, I mean, it's not my millions yeah. of pounds anyway. Uh, I, so, yeah. I, I would do that. I'm, I'm, I'm petty like that, I think. <laughs> well, I th- I'm not even sure it's petty. I think it makes fair sense because... You don't want them coming back and like haunting you uh, as, as much as you can. You don't want them. Like, play, uh, teams often look to sell them out of the league because it's it's a massive drawback if you suddenly you sold up. You decided you can sell a player uh, for a reason, and then they, they come back and they actually do very well against you, or they just do very well in, in general. But if they do well in a different league, at least you have the excuse: ah, it just wasn't the right environment for them here. Uh, something like that. It's, it, but yeah, why why would Spurs want Masuaku over a young left back? I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know. No. Um, okay, next question. Uh, this one again may link back more. And Jeremiah, I know you've been following West Ham for longer than I have, so maybe uh, you have some insight here as well. But Scott, uh, we'll go to you first on this one. Which would you rather, Marco Arnautovic or Carlton Cole in his prime? Mm. Yeah, I, I saw this one. I thought it was in, like to start off with. I thought it was a silly question um, because when Carlton Cole was our main striker, it, we had a lot of jokes uh, about the fact that he just—I I don't know—he he never. He, he's kind of like Antonio in the fact that he never looked particularly confident on the ball. Uh, like ball at his feet wasn't where he was best. However, he did get selected for England. He he works hard off the ball. He works hard to get in good areas. Um, I was actually there when he scored his first goal. Um, when we he was coming across from Chelsea, I think it was the, we beat Charlton three one the first day of the season. Um, but he yeah he drove hard at the ball. But if you're looking at pure player, I think it's Asan Altovich all day. Uh, Attitude-wise, Carl Cole gave it all, all the time, and until Arnautovic came along, he was—he's the last striker we had that scored uh, ten-plus goals in back-to-back seasons uh, in Premier League. So, I mean, I do joke about him sometimes, but he did get goals, he did get results, and he led our line pretty well. So, uh, but I'd still go with Arnautovic. Interesting, interesting. Okay, uh, Jeremiah, what do you think? 
Yeah, no, Scott, I agree. Uh, Attitude-wise, Carlton Cole, and, and I kind of I started following West Ham. I think it was, was it 11-12 season. We were in the championship. We went down and then came back up. Um, and I, I remember watching him, kind of the same thing. You know, he he never stopped. He was always going, and he played hard to the ball. But I think skill-wise, I think uh, just overall uh, football abilities, Bionarovic. Um, I think maybe I didn't maybe see him in his prime, so I don't really know fully because uh, you know 2011 and 12 was kind of falling towards the end of uh, end of times anyway, as far as maybe primes considered. But um, yeah, I think I would go with Marco as well. I, I feel like I can't vote on this one. I don't know, um, but uh, there are a thousand and eight votes on it, and Arnautovic has seventy two percent of the vote. So you guys are, are well within the majority there. Uh, which always yeah. feels nice. Uh, but it, this is an interesting question because we'll go to our last Hammers poll question. This one comes from at HammersFan02380. Uh, and it's a really interesting one, and it directly links to that previous question. Would you rather have a player with A, 7 out of 10 ability and 10 out of 10 attitude, or 10 out of 10 ability and 7 out of 10 attitude? Mm-hmm. It's interesting. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm going to say... I'll, I'll go first here. I'll jump in and I'll say 7 out of 10 ability with 10 out of 10 attitude because you – the attitude – I think a lot of the attitude comes down to how you were how you were raised as a human being but also um, the level of respect uh, you sort of show on the pitch, off the pitch and regarding your club. Uh, and I don't know – like when I see 10 out of 10 attitude, two names come to mind. I don't know if you guys can probably guess them or not but Mark Noble and Robert Snodgrass – uh, Snodgrass was basically spit in his face by the owners and board of our team, mm-hmm. and he did nothing but come back and have an exceptional season for us, especially first half of the year when he was needed a lot more. Um, that shows integrity, a 10 out of 10 attitude, and he's been happy to, to be a bench warmer and come off the bench when, uh, when, when needed in, in these games. Maybe not happy to do it, but he's done it with a smile and impacted the game positively. He's also played left wing, right wing, left mid, right mid, attacking midfield, holding midfield, central midfield. You could probably put him in goal and he wouldn't mind if he was helping the team. So that's what you get at a, with a 10 out of 10 attitude. Um, in reality, you, you need a team that has both. Um, but I, I would say I would rather build my, my team around that, that 10 out of 10 attitude player. How about you, Jeremiah? Yeah, no, I, I agree with you completely. Um, I, think, I think that you know there's a reason we're all West Ham fans, right? Excuse me. I mean, we don't. We know there's not a whole lot of glory and fame. We don't have a lot of superstars half the time. Um, so if we can find players that actually want to be here and play here. I think for me anyway, and for a lot of West Ham fans, that's what you want. You want somebody that wants to play there. So I mean, yeah, I saw that question. I voted on that question, and definitely seven out of ten. Um, as far as skill, ten out of ten want to be there. Scott. Scott, what are your thoughts? Where do you where do you weigh in on this? Uh, I think that it's very. Uh, I think one, it's position based, or it can be very position based, and it's also not about uh, what I want my whole team. Like, for example, would I want a whole team of uh, seven out of ten uh, ability and ten out of ten attitude? Uh, yeah, I mean, you, you're probably not getting um, relegated with that, but. Are you making strides forward? No, probably. Like some, you need that attitude to gel together, but you also you do need that ability sometimes. And I think that 
whilst it's very frustrating for people when sort of they're, they're looking at this pitch and going, well, I would give absolutely anything to be on it. And there's this player who has all the, all the ingredients needed to be a world-class player and they're not giving it everything. Some, some people just aren't going to be do it in the same way that you are. Uh, and yeah, I think we, uh, it's really tough. If, if you're asking me right now, for example, our striker for next season, do I want him uh, 10 out of 10 ability and 7 out of 10 attitude or the other way around? I want him mobility. Uh, we've got a lot of players that are working hard. Uh, I think, for example, the back line we have, I mean, Balbuena, I think, is a great player, but it's, it's his attitude that makes him, that sets him above uh, the others that we've seen in going, come and go in that position recently. Uh, Declan Rice is all attitude. He's got great ability behind him and he'll go far in the game because of that. But we have these players throughout that have this ability, this um, sort of attitude uh, that is maxed out. I, I do think we also need to start bringing in some wonderful ability uh, players as well. Yeah, and you can sort of maybe steal a point or two of attitude by insulating them with players like Snodgrass and Noble. Um, before yeah. we jump along to our next and final segment here, I uh, just want to bring out uh, to notice here and congratulate uh, Baz Cox on raising just shy of 26,000 uh, pounds with his charity match that he ran for Isla at Isla's fight. Uh, an absolutely amazing thing to do when you think of him as uh, you know, he's a pretty boisterous person in the West Ham universe, uh, especially on social media, but for to, to assemble the crew we did and put on the show we did with the players, the celebrities and everything all for a great cause. Um, truly exceptional work. So, so the green street hammers are, are taking our hats off to you there, Baz. Uh, and up next, we're going to give our predictions to the, uh, for the season to come, as well as our thoughts on the season that was all right. So, as far as West Ham are concerned, moving forward, if we think we are going to move forward, we have to build off of the base that we created this season. Um, generic 1 out of 10 rating uh, and a quick justification why. What do you guys think our season ranks as this year? Scott, we'll go to you first on this one. Uh, mm, uh, I reckon our season's probably about... I'm going to go very precise and be like a 6.5 out of 10. Um, I, I think that a 7 out of 10 sounds too nice. Uh, but a 6, it sounds a bit high. I'd probably agree more with a 6 than a 7 because, yeah, I think we've um, we've achieved what we wanted to this uh, season. Um, there's been some big areas of concern for Pellegrini over the year. Uh, he would have definitely worried uh, at various points that he was... He, got himself in for more than he thought he had, uh, uh, than he bargained for. But we come out, we finish in the top half. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it, it's probably what he was after for the season in terms of finishing position, but it could have been so much more. And that would have been, if you'd asked me in the start of January where I thought we w- would be aiming for, I wouldn't have been happy finishing uh, behind... Uh, Everton, because um, I think they had an awful start to the season as well. They they were very average until the last couple of months, and yeah, they're, they're, that's the team we should have been trying to sort of mark ourselves against. Jeremiah, what do you rank our uh, our team's performance this year? Yeah, I think you're right. You know, five's too low, uh, seven's too high. So I think naturally six is kind of the fit that you're going to go in. And uh, you're right; they played exactly where we thought they were going to play, but there was a lot of points 
whether it's in cups or just certain points throughout the season, you know, after January, for example, where things just look really bleak and really low. And uh, so definitely can't put them much higher than probably six. So I'm going to go six. Yeah, six is where I was going to be before this. I think uh, if you are pressing more for that European spot and didn't have two massive swells in performance, um, which are through February as well as August, September, or part of September, I think this team could succeed more. I think if we got that European spot, we'd be looking at a, a high seven, low eight. Uh, I think if we crept into the top six, you're then looking at an eight, nine, uh, and anything on top of that would have been absolutely gravy and would have made it a 10 out of 10 season. So the justifications there, I think that was uh, a solid six season, but it's it's a springboard, I think, for next year. Um, nobody seems to have any idea what our transfer budget's going to be. Is it 20 million, 30? Is it going to be 60 million? What about player sales? Who's in, who's out, blah, 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 blah. I think we all just need to exhale, let uh, let the club keep things quiet as they want to do nowadays, especially with Pellegrini at the helm. Um, we'll, as you know, writers continue to spout off about these links that make no sense, like, mm-hmm. a, like a 26 million pound bid going in for a, a center back from Colombia who's 26, who's playing in Brazil. Anyways, mm-hmm. uh, th- that's, our, that's our quote unquote job though. So um, let's look at player of the season. It's probably going to come down to two. Um, and this is sort of like our own West Ham Awards here. But uh, for me, player of the year um, has to be Fabianski. I think we're probably 14th, 15th in the league without him, if not worse. And I do think he he, uh, he helped steady the team. His resolve at the beginning of the year to still make saves when we were down 3-0, 4-0 is something, you know, that's, again, that attitude. That's that 10 out of 10 attitude, right? Just stop the next one. That's got to be your, your mentality of your goalie. So um, I think it's Fabianski. At a 10, I'd probably give him a 9. I don't know how he could have been much better. He didn't. I think he had one goal, one stinky goal this year. Um, other than that, he was exceptional. He was better than we could have ever asked, especially at that price tag. Uh, and I would give Rice probably an 8.5, if not higher, um, but just slightly under Fabianski. Jeremiah, who's your who's your player of the year? What are they showing up at a, at a ten? Yeah, I'm gonna. I can't disagree with you at all. I think you could go back and look at every single match, and Fabianski had a part in almost every single one, especially in the victories that we had, or even the draws. I think that uh, without him, we're a lot worse. You know, I think a nine out of ten is a perfect spot. He wasn't perfect, and, and not a lot of players are. We don't have a lot of eleven Messies out there running around. But um, yeah, for sure, Fabianski. Scott? Yeah, I don't think there's... I mean, obviously, Declan Rice had a wonderful season as well. Uh, and I think Felipe Anderson's done very well coming into mm-hmm. a new league and uh, after a lot of people gave him stick for the first few games. But Fabianski's been amazing. Uh, I mean, I, I, I don't ever really think you can give a season rating of 10 out of 10 because because that's perfection and there have been some errors from Fabianski there's been some times where he's not been quite as hot as others but he's been amazing I mean six seven million we paid for him and he's he's just really solidified that back line uh yeah uh, it's a nine nine and a half out of ten for me for him uh, we'll jump ahead now to our best attacking player of the year. Um, this is going to come down to, I mean, whoever we want to choose, really. I mean, there's justification for a lot of players. Um, just give them a ranking out of 10. Uh, this is, includes wingers as well as strikers and even attacking midfielders. So you get your your Lanzini's, Willis Shears, Nasri's in there. I don't know if they'll make it to your best player of the year attacking-wise. But uh, 
Scott, let me know who you think was West Ham's most threatening attacker, their their best attacker this year, and uh, what do you give them? I think uh, has to, well, I'd be Felipe Anderson for me. Uh, I think he is the man that when the maybe after the first few games and he every time he picked up the ball there was that sense that he he could do something the opposition seemed to back off there seemed to be that element of fear uh that he brought to the game yeah he's not he's not finished he's not uh completely polished um but he is a very good addition to this side and uh given on inconsistency and his disappearing around january time uh, it's a real shame Yarmolenko uh, got injured because he would have been right up there because he had exactly that same air of something's about to happen. Yeah. Uh, when he when he started running at the left back and sort of doing that little uh, sort of brought himself right up to full height and he kind of like here here he is about to can he is he going to cut back on it, cut back inside bend one in is he going to lay it off and make a run that's that kind of this is this is about to get good. So I think, um, yeah, I think that's Anderson. I'd probably give him an 8 out of 10. Jeremiah, what do you think? Man, you know, I don't want to bore the listeners, but I can't disagree <laughs> with that. I, I think uh, I was going to say Arnautovic just to kind of spice it up. But, you know, truth be told, you know, the kind of absence that he had, I just I don't think that, uh, for me, we couldn't have been, you know, player of the year. You you miss out on a couple months of, of negativity. and That's not a whole year scheme. And Anderson did, besides the first maybe month, Maybe not even that. Maybe a month's too harsh. But the first, just a little bit of kind of getting his feet wet and getting into the league. Other than that, I mean, he's been good. He's kept the kept the ball going. Whether it's a through ball, whether it, you know, you can go on and on to what it looks like. But for me, it's Anderson. I would probably give him a. I'll go with a eight point five. I'm gonna switch it up here. Not, not because I want to, but because uh, three people picking the same person isn't uh, isn't all that exciting. But I'm going to say, I'm going to go off the chart here, off the wall. I'm going to say Mikel Antonio, simply uh, because of that redemption story that, Jeremiah, you wrote about today. Um, Green Street Hammers, uh, today being the 15th of May, so go check it out if you haven't. Um, he was a player I wrote about wanting gone come uh, January. He looked tentative when he was playing um he looked you know to lack technical abilities which i still think he does um but he got better as the season progressed but when west ham needed that right winger um especially after after january he really showed up for the team um i think there's a lot that can go on in the mentality of a player as we talked about earlier and he's someone who doesn't necessarily i don't think trust him his body um with the amount of injuries he's sustained in the past he was great uh, come the end of the year, and he really broke it down to the basics of, of what made him great, which is strength and speed. Uh, he'll get himself into, into positions that he literally cannot miss the net on with his jumping, with his speed. Um, but he also, you know, he showed some great finishes against Fulham. He, uh, he took that Chicharito backwards, flick on, and Meg the keeper in front of the net. There, there was some great technical abilities shown by him, despite there also being a couple space shuttles he launched off the pitch. Um, but... <laughs> I think the the redemption story is is worth a point or two. I would give him a seven five out of ten, and I think um, you know Anderson maybe deserves an eight or an eight five. But he also went went to sleep uh, when West Ham went quiet when we needed someone to sort of take up that offensive flag uh, with Arnautovic being distracted and otherwise. And I really wanted that to be Anderson. 
um, which is something that's very cheap to take away from him because that's his job is not to be better than other players on the team. His job is to play his own game. I think he did that well. I also think he had a tremendous development in his defensive side by the end of the season, especially against Watford. That tackle uh, where he blocked the goal was awesome. But I'll give it to Antonio. I want to be different, and uh, I want to you know <laughs> liven this up a little bit. Um, now, <clears throat> we'll round out the episode here. We're coming up to 46 minutes, so I don't want to keep everyone too long. Uh, but what are our predictions for West Ham next season? Um, I don't want to get into player personnel too much. I don't want to get into the transfer market too much. I think we will we'll focus solely on the transfer market in, a, in an episode to come shortly uh, for West Ham. Our predictions, who's going to be playing where, picking our team, who's gone, who's coming. Anyways, I just want to focus on Pellegrini mostly, um, the mentality of the team, how maybe the culture has changed, and where you place the team next season um that's a lot to throw on you guys without warning so i i will uh, allow you to think about that while i chime in here first um and i think west ham uh, are going to be a top six team next season uh this is not me being a homer i think uh, if you look at a lot of the teams around you uh around west ham in the table um i, I can see everton splashing big uh but again i can see them m- picking up players that don't necessarily have a chance to impact the game. They have a really solid starting 11. If they pick up a more solid right winger, if they commit uh, Richarlison to being a striker, if Bernard can play consistently, Adrissa Gay is awesome. Gilfie Sigurdsson's awesome. Keane's great at center back. Pickford's a really solid keeper. Uh, Luca Dean is great. Uh, all of these guys are, are really good players. I just don't, for whatever re- reason, I don't know. I don't see them kicking on. Wolves, I think, over exceeded expectations, obviously, this season. Um, or ex- over exceeded is a redundant term, exceeded expectations. Um, but I don't see how they can step forward again. Uh, Raul Jimenez was awesome, but I think Nuno's style of play will, will get found out. I think you're going to see a lot of counterattacking up the middle to take advantage of their high wingbacks. Uh, and you're going to sort of see the likes of Jao Moutinho maybe come back down to earth a little bit. He was phenomenal this year, but who knows? We'll see. Um, Leicester, I'm not convinced in Brendan Rodgers. I don't know. I don't know. He's been he's ha- had to not try so hard and so for so long with Celtic because that team dominates the Scottish Premier League. I, I just I don't know about him. I'm not convinced. Uh, and I think you're going to see some uh, some major shuffling. How is Chelsea going to respond to a transfer ban? How is Manchester United going to you know going to react after a full summer of uh, their new manager? I don't want to butcher his name, Ole. Uh, Ole uh, at the wheel. How, how is he going to you know form this team? They have a lot of awesome talent like Jesse Lingard, like Marcus Rashford, but they need that consistency. Um, and defensively, they re-signed Phil Jones and Chris Smalling, so more of the same from their center backs. Is De Gea going to be gone? Is he going to be back to his old self? I don't know. Uh, Arsenal, will they press on? Will they not? I think you know Liverpool, Tottenham. Well, Tottenham, you never know. VAR is going to be in the league. Who knows where they'll finish? Uh, but uh, <laughs> Liverpool will probably be there. City are for sure going to be there. Um, Chelsea, again, Chelsea's a big question mark for me. I don't know what that team's going to do. And then promotion teams, um, I don't know. I just I don't know what to really to make about the team. I don't think Palace is going to take a step forward. I don't care. Throw $50 million at Michi Batshuayi. Use your whole budget on a player that you don't need. Terrific. Um, other teams that are coming up behind us, I, I just don't see it. You know, us getting passed by Newcastle or someone like that. Bournemouth, maybe, but their team is heavily reliant on Callum Wilson, who's too injured. Um, anyways, I, I think we're going to be a, a top six team. 
Uh, that sounds outlandish and crazy, but I have faith that Pellegrini knows his core, knows what to, to, to tell them, how to make them better players, and he knows how to recruit players really well. Um, so I, I have faith in, in the process here. Year two will be a big kicking on year, and I think we're going to see some success uh, and that, that puts us into that top six spot there. Whoever of you two wants to joust it out and make me stop talking, please jump in. Well, uh, I'll go next. That way, in case I get too negative, we can finish hopefully on a good note. <laughs> oh, <damn. laughs> But, uh, you know, I think you're absolutely right. Year two, this is pivotal. I, I think it's hugely pivotal for, for Pellegrini in this, this whole three-year project. You know, it's his first full summer. I guess really second kind of full summer. But um, really just kind of setting up now the team. They know the kind of formations that they might want to play. They know the style that they're going to play. And you're right, the teams that are behind us, I don't think the teams that are behind us are really going to uh, push up to maybe get ahead of us. But looking at Leicester City, I think we jump them. Everton, I'm, you're right, I have the same kind of feelings behind Everton. I, I just don't, maybe it's because they're Everton and they always just kind of Everton it up. Who knows? But uh, I, I don't know if we get up quite to top six. I think we do get better. I mean, we have to get better. I, I think 10th is a good spot. It's a good measuring point for this season. And I, I think that um, I think it will finish anywhere around seventh or eighth. I think if we can get to seventh, that would be a really good season. You know, potentially depending on kind of like right now, whoever wins, like one of the cups, like the FA Cup, you know, maybe that gets us into Europe, and we kind of get to look at that battle again, like we had a couple of years ago. But um, yeah, for me, I think the highest possibility will go with seventh. But um, you know, maybe I, I'll, I'll go with eighth. I'm going to back that down a bit and just go with eighth. I'd be very happy with eight for next year. Scott, where yeah. are we at? Where are we at? Yeah, I think uh, you've got to you got to turn work out where we are now and how much you can progress over a single summer. I think what we're looking at now is we want to be making sure that we're not left behind by any club that wants to try and break into this top six. So, I mean, the top six is fairly set, despite the fact that Man United had an awful end to the season and awful parts of other parts of it. They still made the top six um, and there was still a fair gap away from Wolves. So what we need to make sure is that Wolves, Everton, Leicester don't go and move away from us. We need to make sure that if any team is capable of breaking into that top six, it's us. And whether that means finishing in the top six next year, I don't think so. I'm not sure. I think there's just that kind of residual quality around the other clubs that make it almost impossible to break in straight away unless you have like a Leicester-like season and it's just a flash in the pan straight through. Um, but yeah, I mean, Man City, Liverpool are classing above the rest of the league at the moment. Chelsea will struggle next year because Hazard is gone. Uh, he's, he's if he Great doesn't point. leave, if he doesn't leave, he's uh, I don't know. They've they've managed. To, I don't know. They're holding him hostage basically, but uh, <laughs> I, and they can't replace him. Uh, so yeah, that's an interesting one. Um, but they've probably still got enough about them that they grind out more results than we can, uh, unless we have a very good summer. I mean. Talk about uh, if you'd go next year if we if we made some very good signings if we made something I'm very comfortable about maybe I come back and agree with you but I think we should be looking at seventh uh, as the target but make sure that we're not left behind by the likes of Wolves I think that's really important going into the um, next couple of years that we don't 
make our task harder for ourselves. I, I think that's a, a fair a fair span of, of results there. We have 8th, 7th, and 6th. All of them, uh, despite being different, are, are all a progression from this year. 10th, um, mm-hmm. I think, is underwhelming when you look at it. But if you look at the points, we're 5 points off of 7th. Uh, we had an awful start to the year. We couldn't buy a win in August. And we needed that big performance against United uh, to sort of turn the season around, albeit as early as it was. Um, I think we all believe there's a lot more that the team we currently have can give. I think when you subtract some of those players that we know are going to be gone, and when you add in players that are going to be pushing for improving this team, who knows what can happen. Um, we all kind of live in that that West Ham world of hope and you know fortune always being hiding. Um, but uh, hopefully hopefully we'll press on next season we're all very much uh hoping for that and uh you know until the those transfers start coming in we'll have to hold our breath a little bit longer uh that's going to do it for us here on episode 26 thanks for sticking around with us for the season we'll be back throughout the summer transfer updates news whatnot as well as some interviews hopefully uh, knock on wood here we get some of those nailed down uh yes. other than that uh <laughs> we will talk to you guys shortly thanks for listening and until uh, next week Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.